2: Bill's Podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And we're here talking about because we don't we don't have an intro for this week because intros are for winners, right?
2: Yeah, they are. It's like coffee's for closers. Intros are for winners. So we'll have one next week when we do the review of the of beating Baltimore.
1: That's right. This is our week four preview: the Buffalo Bills against the Baltimore Ravens. I got to open one for this. Your time: one p.m. Eastern Standard. The place: M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore, New York. Just New York baltimore maryland god weather cloudy 80 percent chance of rain and a high of 67 yuck the line the bills are st- okay help chris you're a gambling man i am explain this to me like i'm five the buffalo bills are the walking wounded we just lost a game And yet we're going to go on the road to play a team that's two and one.
2: Same way we are. Yet we're a road three and a half point favorite. Do you put Lamar Jackson in the category of a Josh Allen, a Joe Burrow and Aaron Rodgers in terms of in the pocket passing? No. Do you know who's starting at cornerback for the Ravens? At what? Cornerback. Well, Marcus Peters. And then behind that? I believe, well, depends on these injury reports you're about to go over. I know. They're all rookies. Mm -hmm. That's who came in against when they lost that comeback to the Dolphins. So you have Josh Allen. If he can, you know, look away from Marcus Peters (laughs) and just throw to rookies. There's your three and a half point favorite. All Josh right. Allen makes the difference. That's why it's three and a half.
1: Well, as we talked about at the end of the recap show, it's the reason that everyone... It's it's He is the star. that stirs the drink, sir. Wh-
2: why do you think the line never moved last week against the Dolphins? It was all of the injured, like even Monday night, you know, uh, Jackson gets injured. More injuries pile up. People miss. People... Josh Allen is why that line never moved against the Dolphins with our injuries. They don't move the needle like Josh Allen does. He's a needle mover. Uh, dude, I hope it's enough. Who do we have on the call this week? Ian Eagle and Charles
1: Davis. Aren't they like the B squad, D squad? They are the the B
2: squad, they, I think. The B squad? Remember Adam Archuleta? Now he's still there at CB- he's still there at CBS. They haven't demoted that guy to water boy? No, not yet. Um Jesus. I believe the I know Sunday night is Chiefs and Buccaneers. So I don't know who has the well pff, I'm just 506sports.com if you want to look at the coverage map. Buffalo and Baltimore everywhere. Oh Jesus. So every <clears throat> so west of the Mississippi You're not going to be in, like, from Eugene, Oregon to Northern California. You're not in L.A., San Diego, Bakersfield, all the way up to the Nevada border, and then even a little bit into Arizona. And then most of Texas, those places don't have the game. Everywhere else has Buffalo, Baltimore, west of the Mississippi.
1: Because everybody knows that there's about to be some shits about to happen here.
2: Well, let me ask you this: if you're not, if you're in a non NFL market in the Midwest, you have Jets, Steelers, Chargers, Texans, uh, Jaguars, Eagles, and then Browns, Falcons to choose from. If you're a CBS affiliate, who you're putting on on your cable provider, it's Baltimore and Buffalo. Not even close. Well, <clears throat> whether whether or not it comes out on the field as
1: being close or not, it's going to depend a lot on this injury report, much like last week did. Luckily for us, the team we're going against also isn't the healthiest. If we're talking about key injuries for this one. The Ravens, we'll start there. Uh, they've got a cornerback, uh, Jalen Armour-Dambis, didn't participate, but personal day. They've got Calais Campbell on a rest day. Then you've got J.K. Dobbins limited with a chest injury. Justin Houston with a groin didn't participate. Patrick McCarry, their backup, their backup offensive tackle, starting interior guard, didn't participate with the ankle injury that drove him out of the uh, Patriots game. Marcus Peters, now this one, they're kind of that, that's just a workload management thing because he's still rehabbing from his ACL. Which is in, it's interesting because he tore his ACL back in the. In fact, Chris the Marcus Peters thing is funny when you think about Trey White. He tore Marcus Peters tore his ACL in the preseason. Yeah. Or before the during the preseason process for the Baltimore Ravens in 2021. He came back for this year, but he's still kind of under practice restriction, and you can see he's not as effective versus the run. You're seeing some things pop up here. How is that you figure Trey White tore his ACL? what september to october november two and a half months two months later than peters did it'll be interesting to see because everyone just assumes that when he comes back it's like well will come back and it'll just be he'll be full go i don't know yeah i don't know i mean we're, we're praying for his return at this point just because we need another body but jesus nose tackle michael pierce has a biceps injury did not participate him and Justin Houston are probably the two most interesting there in terms of the defensive line injuries for them. And then Ronnie Stanley, the tackle who's missed missed most of last season, was injured the season before that. He practiced in full. Apparently, he might be ready to go, which I think changes the complexion of this entire game, much the way it would, you know, the it would be like the Dolphins having Teron Armstead or not having him. Yeah. It definitely gives the Bills a different look. Now, if you're talking about the Buffalo Bills, i got to take a deep breath for this one. I've got Cam Lewis, cornerback. He's questionable. Gabe Davis with an ankle. He's questionable. Uh, Deion Dawkins with an illness. He's questionable. Um, as I'm looking through the tweets that I bookmarked from Sal, he's got a full Sale Sal Capaccio of WGR 550. He had a full breakdown of the practice designations. I'm looking at uh, Phillips. Jordan Phillips is questionable, but likely to be out. McDermott today called him week to week and said that he's hopeful for next week's game. Bates, Benford, Dawkins, Kumaro, Jordan Phillips didn't practice today.
2: We just signed Justin Murray, right? That's his name. We just signed Justin Murray. And he's on the injury list with a foot injury. So he's kind of limited. (laughs) Also, he's got to learn our protections yes you're not just gonna roll it that's that's probably the most important thing learn the protections
1: but dane jackson jordan poyer ed oliver mitch morse and dawson knox all limited all practicing and a partridge and a pear tree hey chris bobby hart is back (laughs) thank god
2: that's, uh, do you
1: know how much it fucking hurts me to say that out loud?
2: Yeah. <laughs> most of Bill's mafia is probably in, in that boat. I need a cold sip of Montauki to wash that nonsense out of my mouth. Oh, wow, I'm real glad Bobby Hart's <sighs> back in the lineup. What would we ever
1: do without Bobby Hart? You know what the sad thing is? We're sitting here slandering the guy.
2: He's going to start, right?
1: If he was there. He Maybe that game goes differently. <laughs> Could. Could. What a mess So this is the injury situation for the Bills It's still dire straits And I think now they have an idea of their limitations As far as the offensive line will take them Both in terms of health and just in terms of execution I mean, I'm I'm interested to see what they're going to do with Spencer Brown Heat injury, sure, but Dave Questenberry Maybe he takes that job this week
2: I don't know, Spencer Brown is pretty bad It's this is a big game, and so I
1: don't want to waste any more time because we have one of our favorite guests who we always get into long form conversations with, Ken McCusick from his Ravens Film Study podcast and over at Birdland Sports. He's going to join us tonight to talk through all of this stuff. Uh, Chris, let's waste time, let's stop wasting time. Let's just get into this with Ken.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com/slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Mr. Ken McCusick from Ravens Film Study. He is he, he's the host of Ravens Film Study. He's also a partner of us over in the Blue Wire Network film analyst for 10, The fan, and he's a long suffering Orioles fan. Now, Ken, first of all, how are you doing tonight?
3: <laughs> Life is good. Uh, we uh, working through the same kind of injuries the Buffalo bills are. So uh, uh, we hopefully have a reasonable flat table in the end with all the tilting that will go on this week.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just, I just had to lament the fact that Bobby Hart is back imagine being excited about the fact that somebody who believes the earth is flat is back on your football team <laughs>
3: that's exciting
1: so I detest regular season major league baseball it's unwatchable to me I just but but I will I, I guess I'm obligated to ask because I know a lot of our listeners do like it even though their playoff odds are currently at less than one percent it has to feel pretty good seeing your team kind of rise up and compete down the stretch doesn't it
3: yeah, I, it's, I, I've been a big fan of minor league baseball this year, so I go out to w- watch MILB every night, and the 15-second fast forward allows you to go through games very quickly on that, so I get to see a, a, a stocked farm system of prospects, and we're just seeing the payoff on that with some guys, but there's about four more at AAA. Uh, Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rutschman, and Kyle Stowers are the major leagues now, and more to come. Uh, it's it's a good time to be a Baltimore Orioles fan right now
1: you have no you don't know it but there's like four listeners of our podcast who are in their car right now going hell yeah yeah <laughs> they're fist pumping because the orioles might may or may not be their team it's hilarious
3: <laughs>
1: so I'm looking at this the bills and ravens kind of like the bills and chiefs just keep running into each other in the afc this is our fourth game in five seasons since Allen was drafted mm-hmm. the bill as Bill's fans we've seen almost every outcome imaginable uh, we, we've we seen blowout losses. Alan's <laughs> just mm-hmm. very first. One. It just seems like there's this thread that ties us together forever. Because, Chris, you remember the Nathan Peterman saga of, hey, he threw so many interceptions last year, but we're going to name him the starter this year.
2: I'd like to forget that that actually happened.
1: And then he starts <laughs> a single. What was did he play the whole first half? Might have. And then in the second half, they said, okay, guess what? You're not, Josh Allen, it's your time. We didn't mean mm-hmm. for it, but guess what? You got to go in there because nobody else can do this job. So it was the Baltimore Ravens handing Josh Allen his first, first real kick in the teeth, his welcome to the NFL moment.
3: Then just, One of my recollections of that game, by the way, is seeing one of the edge rushers, and I'm forgetting what it was, a white edge rusher who played for Buffalo that year, coming down the sideline and just shaking his head at 47 to three. And uh, could, could not believe this had happened in the opener. You know, they thought Buffalo would be competitive. Buffalo ended up being a lot better team than that.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, they, they, they kind of had to be, but Jesus, did it take some time to get there? And I, I think I know who you're talking about. He was an outside line. I can't think of the name, but he was an outside linebacker for the Washington football team coming off an ACL injury. And I, I remember that we signed him in his first year. He wasn't great. But one of the things he was great at was containing Lamar Jackson. We sat starters in order to get him on the field when we played you in that uh, playoff game. Specifically because we were like, there's something he does that he's just good at containment. But so we've we've been through this. You know, we see narrow final play losses. You know, over on your show at uh, Ravens film study this week, we joked about how good Marcus Peters is that they trusted you, your coach trusted your Marcus Peters to run cover zero on the final play of the game to stop John Brown from catching a game winning touchdown. And he did it fluidly. And it was heartbreaking. Also, some really hard fought playoff victories for the Bills. It's it just seems like every game is this strategic chess match now with no two game plans really going the same. Is this been a fun pseudo rivalry for you to watch develop in the AFC?
3: Uh, sure, uh, in general. By the way, it's it's uh, Trent Murphy is the Trent guy. Trent Murphy, yeah.
1: and I, I remember so. wanting him to pan out because I wanted to be like there was a Marcus Murphy and I wanted to be able to call him like get like a Robocop themed like shirt with Marcus <laughs> Murphy and then I was like all right Trent Murphy might do. Neither one of them panned out.
3: So in terms of this being a fun rivalry, it's, it's been a good um, adaptation rivalry for the Ravens over the last few years. They they've adapted well in the, in the 18 and 19 games in particular. Uh, we don't need to go into that. It's it's, but, but <laughs> the, the 19 team win in particular, very much, I think what you would see from this year's Ravens in terms of trying to salt away a game. So we can talk about that when, when it comes up uh, the, the, the uh, 20 game, obviously, I don't even remember playing that. It, I, I, did it even happen? So, and then, the, <laughs> the, the, uh, and then the uh, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a miserable game. It's a lot of ways. Obviously, right in the middle of COVID, um, Buffalo had very strange rules. We never miss a playoff game. We go to every playoff game, and I've been 20 for 20 uh, going into that. But Buffalo had those rules about you had to be there on Wednesday and show up in their parking lot for a COVID test. Uh, and so it's the one one I've ever missed and uh, very, very frustrating. No, oh, it's frustrating. Say.
1: Then, Me as a season yeah. ticket holder, I just missed the cutoff for tickets by like 15 minutes. They Damn. ran out of tickets 15 minutes before we got in the queue. And it was disappointing, but also one of the greatest moments was that interception for a touchdown and my phone goes off. And we have a FaceTime on Facebook message from Paul Mitchell from England, who's a, who's a listener from Britain, who's FaceTiming us just to celebrate with us because he's like, I know that you guys are losing your minds right now. <laughs> and I was like, this, this is what this whole thing is about. It's, it's about connecting. It's about reaching out to people. You Like, I spoke to something in him that said, I want to share this moment with that guy. To me, that's special. It, it kind of gives validation to what we show up here and we do every week, right? <laughs>
3: Got a whole Twitter family out there, certainly, of people who, uh, you know, the podcast loyalty is just remarkable. I'm sure you guys have it, too. But not only do, do they come to you and really want to know your opinion for things, but they'll come to you and they remember everything you said. It's, it's almost like you're a teacher and there's a bunch of third graders, which is not the relationship at all. And yet they remember every single thing you said. And they want to say, so you said in week three that you <laughs> didn't play well. when they're you know, OK, I, I take your word for it. I have to actually go back and look. Well, uh, see, this is I, with offensive line scoring.
1: Yeah. Well, this is why I love you because you're genuinely smart. For me, when I say things and listeners remember it, it's usually the worst. It's usually them being like, <laughs> "Hey, remember the time that you said Trey White was a terrible pick?" It's like, "Yeah, no, I, I, re- I recall, <laughs> sir. I do recall." <laughs> so, in getting into this matchup, like I, I just love the fact that we kind of come from similar backgrounds and just. your enthusiasm for this is something that I really like. It's one of the things that makes you one of my favorite guests and just not just your knowledge, but your enthusiasm for sports. You were just talking about how you watch minor league baseball. You Mm -hmm. love sports. Like that's your thing. And I, I love it right alongside you. Offensive football for the, for, for the Ravens here, the most surprising aspect of the 2022 Ravens, it's pr- it's got to be your passing game. I'd be a liar if I said it wasn't. I'm guilty. I am guilty of throwing a ton of off-season shade. A lot of a lot of PA's, a lot of personal attacks against the Ravens under the auspices of this idea that the wide receiver depth chart was just bereft of any proven talent. That there wasn't any real uh, I th- th- there wasn't anyone who was had illustrated an ability to catch the ball at a high level at, at the NFL, in the NFL, on Sundays when it matters against NFL cornerbacks. And I called it a folly for Lamar to bet on himself. I said, this is wild that he's going to go out here and risk this with this supporting cast. I think the the phrase I used was I, I called him one of the biggest losers of the week because I was like, he's going to go out there and bet on himself with one of the weakest supporting casts of any quarterback who's ever tried to bet on themselves in a situation like this. So after 3 weeks, Lamar is he's already a front runner and this is coming from me. I'm in this crowd for MVP honors because their passing game, despite being ranked 13th in the NFL, Leads the league in passing touchdowns, which usually is something you see. It's traditional of guys like Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Josh, our own Josh Allen. You probably want to see him in the thing. So when you see them coming out of this weekend and you go, this guy's on fire. He's playing the game at a different level than a level. He's never achieved before. And he's doing it with this group. This is where we
3: have to start the conversation.
1: What for let's start at the very beginning. What's the fan base's reaction to him not signing a deal?
3: I, I think there's more worry than there probably needs to be. And now, uh, sorry, uh, Jackson is obviously going to be more expensive at the end of this year uh, than he would have been before the year or that he would have been, a you know, if they had signed him before the Bills had signed Allen. Uh, you know, they probably could have gotten a forty three million dollar deal for Jackson. Uh, obviously, the Deshaun Watson deal has messed everybody up. And now there's a lot more guaranteed money thrown at quarterbacks. Uh, everybody's expectation is going up. There's another wave that will come due with Joe Burrow after this year, uh, you know, might want $55 million a year and a, a large portion of that guaranteed. And and that's despite the fact that, you know, he has a fourth year in the deal and a fifth year option. And then, you know, I don't know where that's going to end up going. But, uh, uh, you know, Jackson is, is going to be very well paid. I am sure he'll stay in Baltimore in the end. Um, if he doesn't and he comes off a year like this, I, I believe the Ravens will probably trade him if they can't sign him before next year, uh, which would be big. And and they will get a unbelievable haul of draft picks if they do it or, or they won't.
1: Do you Meaning think based on what you've bit. seen from him so far that he's yeah. worth that kind of long term investment, the Watson esque investment?
3: Well, I I do think Watson's kind of overpaid. Uh, Obviously, oh, yeah. for where he's where he's not playing right now, that's that's bad news. And he's going to get a year of his contract told, which really it was a it was a double shiv on both of them. It really <laughs> double shift to the Browns fan base though, to basically he only gets to play the last six games, gets credit for the season, and and uh, uh, you know the the Browns effectively lose their cheap year on the contract rather than having that toll. Uh, Lamar, he he wants a lot of money, but he's worth a lot of money. And I I, I can't really speak to the negotiations currently uh, in, in terms of where they are. But should he get more than Russell Wilson? Sure, he should. Should he get more than Josh Allen? Of course he should get more than Josh Allen. Josh Allen was signed five quarterbacks ago. Yes. It's not a matter of... of He's whether he's better or not. I think he might be right now. I think you with the evidence there is and and uh, you know relative ages and everything. I think you'd say that that Al, that uh, Jackson is is slightly ahead. Well, I think but, he should uh, get more
1: than I think he should get more than Russell Wilson just because Russell Wilson stinks right
2: now. Like that offense yeah, is and terrible he's, and he's old
1: <laughs> and he's old. Like yeah. this is the worst. So now knowing that that's a dynamic that they're both both the franchise and the player are going to have to navigate. Has Brennan been any evidence, because I've heard rumblings of this from Bills fans, and I want to put this to rest now, because it doesn't look like it from my vantage point, but I want to hear it from you. Any concern that he might start making, quote-unquote, business decisions when it comes to the game of football? Or does he still look like the same decisive, if I get my chance, I'm going to take off on you, put my foot in the ground and run, Lamar Jackson, we've come to know.
3: He's a very low risk of injury guy anyway. I mean, if you look back to the 2019 season, he ran out of bounds without being touched a lot. Um, he slides very well. He's incredibly facile in the pocket to not take hard sacks. So the, the, the hits he takes are usually quarterback hits. Um, so he, he, he you know, steps into a throw and takes a hit. He still does that. Um, and he will occasionally take a hit running the ball. But I've, even when I've studied that in the past, the number of hard hits he takes in a whole season is not that many. Every one of them bothers me. Oh um, but, yeah.
1: But, yeah, yeah. Every one of them kills you.
3: Yeah, I, I honestly, I can't imagine Lamar changing his mindset about business issues. I think that's just if if you're talking about you know Cam Newton in the Super Bowl and that that kind of I can't imagine Jackson doing something like that. All right. So
1: now you take a look at the offensive coordinator. You know the success that he's had as a passer, Lamar, through the early going of this season. Your offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, former Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, who was kind of in a game where the team scored 35 points, got fired. (laughs) He got fired Mm -hmm. here in Buffalo for scoring 35 points in a game. He's long been disparaged as a glorified run game coordinator. Like, that's Mm -hmm. been a thing that's followed him. And I don't know. What... I'm just questioning what's driving this passing renaissance up there in Baltimore, down there in Baltimore. What ways have you watched Lamar mature and what is Greg Roman doing that's making this thing run with this cast of kind of
3: unheralded wide receiver talent? All right. So I'd say for starters, I'm kind of a pro Roman guy. Uh, I'm definitely much less polar than most Ravens fans, but the the bulk of there's a large contingent of Ravens fans who are very vocal that's once him fired every after every single loss. I don't Chris, uh, do you
1: I, know anybody I, who sounds like that? I d <laughs> I don't know anybody who after fourteen
2: beers sounds exactly
3: like you. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Uh, I think he's been extremely adaptable. I think, you know, the the offensive and defensive coordinators, Wink Martindale uh, previously, very adaptable coordinator to the circumstance. Um, People considered him a blitz-only guy. He wasn't. He was a lot more sophisticated than that in terms of what he brought to to the the Ravens' defense and the scheme they played. In the case of Roman, uh, yeah, the Ravens made a, a decision as an organization to ignore the wide receiver position. They traded Marquise Brown. They may or may not have thought a wide receiver is going to be there when they drafted at 14, but they wouldn't have taken him anyway because they thought Kyle Hamilton was one of the best players in the draft. And they, and they, they went with him. They had four wide receivers in the first round went ahead of the Ravens after they traded the pick. So uh, that was kind of a weird situation. It's big one on wide receivers. The big one they had a chance to draft was in the second round. They could have had, um, I want to say Pickens, but the, the guy that the, that's not the right name. The, the guy that the Steelers got.
1: Yeah, Pickens. Uh, no,
3: that's Pickens. it. See, look at you, <laughs> you do I, know, yeah. even when you don't think you know. I, I'm, I'm at that age where names kind of get away from me. It's, it's not a not a fortunate situation, but you got that to look forward to also having a pee oh, more good. often. So you got that. Awesome. Yeah, especially with that beer thing going on, this is not gonna go well for you at my age. I'm just gonna tell you right now. You're gonna you're gonna, you're gonna have to wear a catheter. We'll so. <laughs> burn that bridge when we
1: get there. I'm living for today. That's 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 future Drew's problem.
3: <laughs> okay, got it, got it. So where were we anyway? In so, terms of Roman, he's he, he's he's been very adaptable. And the Ravens decided they didn't want to go for wide receivers. They didn't in the end, and they end up with a, you know a tight end centric offense. They are playing the heaviest sets, probably in definitely in team history, but some of the heaviest sets in NFL history. Uh, so that that's obviously something that is is uh, uh, not what you would expect. Um, they they play a lot of twenty two, a lot of thirteen. They played a lot of fourteen in week two against wow. Miami. Uh, so fourteen? Four snaps. They were all short yardage snaps. Okay, he brought in a, a sixth offensive lineman. Three true. There's tight some ends. people
1: listening to this podcast who are like, "Well, what's what's fourteen? I didn't know yeah. fourteen existed."
3: Yeah, well, that's it's, it's not something you hear in
1: today's NFL. It almost doesn't.
3: Yeah. 13 has, has been the secret sauce, but they, you know, a, a lot of 12 and uh, that Patrick Ricard has been in there uh, for more snaps than any running back. So he's effectively a 60 or 65 percent player. The running wow. backs are are uh, have been pretty bad this year so far. Lamar's the only thing driving the running game. So uh, it's uh, I, I think Roman has done a great job with what he's had this year in terms of making uh, do with it. And, and a lot of that is Lamar's on field decision making just being very good.
1: Well, I see this and I look at the 10 to 20 yard window and that's, that's usually where most NFL passers make their, make their hay, right? That's where most of your big plays are generated because over the top plays are very few and far between in the NFL. Yet Lamar Jackson does it at a rate that's kind of, it's the same as last year, but he's yielding better results. I'll I'll break it down for our listeners. 2021, he had six touchdowns versus five interceptions and a 64% completion percentage. 26% of all of his yardage in the middle of the field, that 10, 20-yard window. Here in 2022, he's got almost the same completion percentage, the same percentage of all of his yardage. It's 26% on the Nuggets, and yet two touchdowns, no picks. So you can tell his vision must be improving because he's making better decisions, but he's still throwing into that window at the same rate that he used to, and he's utilizing that portion of the field appropriately now you've watched some of the plays like that Rashad Bateman touchdown against Miami Mm -hmm. what can like like, that's what I want to talk about like the talent that he's got around him now these young targets are they acclimating well I mean we all watch him running that 75 yard touchdown with a safety I don't know what the Miami safety was doing because Javon Holland is pretty good and I don't know who his counterpart is he's also
3: what was that I'll explain the play briefly. Yep. Miami lined up in a cover zero look. So basically they had uh, four guys who were about seven yards off the line of scrimmage uh, opposite the receiver. They ran that 40 times against the Ravens and gave Lamar hell the previous year. So they thought, okay, we'll just keep running that. Well, one of the very first plays, was, I think he might have had a 17-yard game before it. But then the next play was that slant to, uh, to Bateman. And as soon as Bateman catches that ball, he's got, he's got his man to beat. And then it's going to be a chase, and and he happened to win it for 75 yards. So Roman, that's a great example of Roman reacting to what didn't work in the 2021 game and coming up with a game plan that is chef's kiss for for, uh, for that game.
1: Okay. So Roman has kind of learned how to put some passing wrinkles into what has been a heavy target the tight end, run the football type offense. So Rashad Bateman, Devin Duvernay, I mean, these guys – Devin DuVernay is really interesting to me because I look at him and he's got 100 catch percentage, eight targets, but three touchdowns. Explain this to me because it seems like heresy to think that a wide receiver could be scoring a touchdown on what, more than 10% of their targets.
3: Yeah, uh, he's, he's had three and eight in eight passes, right? So yeah. 38%, 375 anyway, the, 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 uh Anyway, uh, what we've seen from DuVernay this year uh, is... Uh, they have uh, found ways to get him open. The tight ends are peeling off players. So the biggest example I can give you, the Jets in week one put Sauce Gardner, their number one pick, uh, right on Mark Andrews. So that's an unusual play, but you know you got to do something. And you're mentioning that, that you think the Bills have the solution to Andrews, and it might be true. Um, but, but they needed to, to, to find a way to deal with that. As soon as you have that, then, well, your receiver's got to make some hay. And, and DuVernay is not a good wiggle guy at the top of the route. That's really the weakness in his game. But he still found ways this year uh, to get open and, uh, and for Lamar to get him the football. So it's, it's been a great transformation. Always a very dangerous kick returner, uh, punt and, and kickoff. Uh, so he'll, he's, he's doing that. He's already had a kickoff return for a touchdown, a big long punt return this last week.
1: Between the 20s, who's your most reliable receiver?
3: Mark Andrews everywhere. Okay, so... They got a uh, connection, hive mind.
1: Okay, so on your show, Rover Ravens Film Study, we talked about how Matt Milano has a really solid track record of covering Mm -hmm. Mark Andrews, which I think is kind of spoken to the fact that none of the games that we've played outside of that very first one, they're always a rock fight. It always seems to come down to who makes mistakes, and sometimes it's just bad luck, that playoff game. How many, ki- how many kicks does just- Justin... Justin Tucker is one of my favorite, not just kickers in NFL history. He's, he's one of my favorite. He's also one of the oddest human beings. He's an uh-huh. opera singer. Like that's, you, play a, you play this sport where guys are just animals. And there's some physicality involved sometimes whether you like it or not, even as a kicker. And at the same time, you go and you put on a bow tie and you sing opera. Like that to me, he just, I, I went down a rabbit hole with him a couple years ago over that. So he clangs a couple off the uprights in a playoff game and you go, this never happens. What? What is weird things that happen when our teams get together to keep this close. So I just think to myself, okay, we have some edges, you have some edges and we, it's just whichever one prevails wins. We do a good job of, of taking away Mark Andrews. That seems to be a theme whenever you play the Buffalo Bills. So outside of Mark Andrews, who else do you see them attacking the Buffalo Bills defense this weekend with?
3: Well, I, I Likely and Bateman uh, are two. Uh, the, you know, I, I think the other guy with with the secondary problems that you've got right now, the guy who's got incredible wiggle at the top of the route is the ex-chief DeMarcus Robinson. And I would not be surprised if we see an increased role from him. He put on – he only played one preseason game with the Ravens. He hasn't played that many snaps on the season so far, but he did catch a touchdown – but in the, in, the, in the preseason game, he did two different wiggle at the top of the route moves. One was an out-and-go or an out-and-up, whatever you want to call it. And then the other was a sluggo. And both times, the you know now grocery-bagging cornerback uh, <laughs> did on the move. And, and, and so you know, we have to consider context. But but he's he's just incredible wiggle at the top of the route. Uh, both the moves were, were a moves. I mean they they would have they would have fooled fooled most NFL cornerbacks that would have had him getting behind the secondary. And if if you're if you have a banged up safety group or your safety group is otherwise assigned to do different things, uh, you know Demarcus Robinson can really give you a lot of problems with speed. So Ravens have other options. Um, one of the problems with Lamar is forcing the ball to Mark Andrews too much. And um, while He's a great receiver. Last year, Lamar threw nine interceptions throwing to Mark Andrews and had only a passer rating throwing to him of 93, which is way too low for, you know, one of the really great receiving weapons period in the game. So, uh, he's, he forces the ball to him a little too much. He's, um, Andrews saved Lamar an interception this last game, just took it away from the defender for a <laughs> touchdown, in fact. So, uh, you know, he, he can do some good things, but, uh, uh, I, I, the Ravens have other options, and Lamar has been better this year at going to Bateman and and uh, and going to Isaiah likely some, and, uh, and finding the other guys on the field. Duvernay, obviously, who's who's uh, helped them.
1: So you mentioned earlier that the rushing attack has been struggling a little bit, and I find that funny because you're still a top ten rushing attack, and you're second in yards per attempt in the NFL as of this
3: week. That's all Lamar.
1: Well, so this is so so this is Lamar. Yeah. Another thing that's been a theme of these matchups with the Buffalo Bills is that they have a pretty good containment plan in place for how to keep Lamar in the pocket. They don't let him get a lot of free yardage. In the event the Buffalo Bills kind of trot out their traditional, hey, we instead of pass rush, it's pass contain. It's uh, do we want to get here? We want to threaten him, but we don't want to allow him to break off our hip and crack off seven, eight yards because that's. That puts us in a hole. That's the opposite of what we're trying to accomplish here. If that's the case, who of this backfield should we be afraid of? Or is this rushing attack really doing that poorly at this point that you think that's a it's kind of a disadvantage for the Ravens?
3: Okay. I mean, it could still be a disadvantage for the Ravens, but things have changed slightly the last okay. week. So um, they, they started the year with what they did last year, which is bringing in geriatric backs, uh, in this case, Mike Davis, who's got nothing left in the tank. He's rushed the ball seven times for 15 yards so far this year. Kenyon Drake, who's rushed the ball 17 times for 39 yards. They are literally, within their group of carries, the two worst yards below expectation in the entire NFL. <laughs> you are able. Each, each is their worst.
1: What's hilarious is you just made Bills fans thankful for Zach Moss, which is a <laughs> tall – that's a tall order, sir. Oh.
3: Let, let, me, let me finish the point here because it was, it's it, with Lamar, the, the, the value of Lamar that is unrecognized by anybody's scoring system by any, I mean, basically it's very foolish to try and compare Lamar Jackson, the passer to uh, Josh Allen, the passer, for example, you can do that, but it's only a starting point because it, yes. what, what uh, Jackson does is he makes every other player on the field better. And, and some a lot of people would argue that includes the defense, but certainly his gravitational pull on defenses is just what has driven the Ravens into having historic run game levels in 19 and 20, still being among the best teams in the league in 21. And, you know, the Ravens need to get that back. Some of it is offensive line base. Missing Ronnie Stanley is hurt like hell. Uh, He's not expected back this week. Um, You know, they're playing a a rookie fourth-round player in Daniel Fa'alele, who, uh, you know, had a lot of trouble. He gave up two sacks in his first 10 snaps against Dietrich Wise. Played a good second half, but you know the Ravens need to get to, to get their run game back. They really need Stanley's quickness, Stanley's uh, you know uh, pass protection certainly to make Lamar feel completely uh, safe on that blind side. So uh, it, Lamar's effect on the entire rest of the offense, I think, has been reduced by some of the offensive line injuries the Ravens have had.
1: And so let's talk about that as we kind of finish up the offensive segment here. And I will say this: for people who doubt this, I didn't understand speed. I used to watch the Ravens play and go, why doesn't someone just tackle him? This is stupid. I don't get it. And then I watched Devonta Smith play Al- play for Alabama. And I said, why is no one tackling? Oh, because... They have a spot, and he just beats them to it. He just gets there so quickly that they can't cut the angle, that they genuinely cannot physically lay out and get their hands on him. He just runs past him. Lamar does the same thing, and he does it to linebackers, he does it to cornerbacks, to safeties. His speed is incredible, and it's a rarity. And so to your point, everyone sucks to him. Mm
3: Mm-hmm. And, and there there is a Lamar Speed is is grossly overrated in terms of what it is. He gained a lot of weight this offseason to more, more muscle. He's probably a little bit slower than he has been, but Lamar Jackson is up there with the greatest athletes ever in any sport in terms of reading opposing leverage. And if you if you were really to want to talk about any sport uh, who it was, in football, Gale Sayers and Barry Sanders are two runners who who they could they, they would look at an opponent and they would wait to make their move until the guy was on the wrong foot kind of thing. And and the milliseconds that you have to make that decision is, is really impressive. Well, the guy who's the greatest athlete of all time to some people, Muhammad Ali, uh, in terms of his quickness, would be a similar fit for Jackson in terms of, of he, he's a guy uh, who reads leverage just like nobody. So his speed, he never really gets out of third gear. He's, he's a guy who's never really registered on the top speed levels. Uh, he did, he was 20th. On the long run, on the seventy-five yard run he had, or seventy-nine the <laughs> two in week two, but but the um, uh, normally he's he's not on that because he runs in third gear. I mean, he's just he, he basically is running to make the next guy miss. He's not running to outrace a bunch of uh, defensive backs and whatnot. He can do it, but but uh, almost, he, he's it's
1: yeah. almost more dangerous, isn't it?
3: To to run in third gear,
1: yeah, because he can set you up. He's like, hey, I'm watching your feet. I'm watching your body language. I'm running, but I'm running intelligently. Yeah, that's hey, terrifying.
3: More, more dangerous for the defense. I thought you were referring to an injury risk, but he's he's no. definitely a, a uh, 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 more effective doing it that way than uh, than than with pure speed.
1: So, in terms of the rookie starting at left tackle and the state of your offensive line with some injuries, what's your level of concern about the Bills' pass rush and what we kind of what we talked about over on Ravens film study? How how effective they've been just rotating with four.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, extremely frightened by that. I think that's the, that's the matchup that can win the Bills the game. I think that also the Ravens defensive line playing against the Bills offensive line similar. But in terms of the offensive line for the Ravens, they've got Daniel Falalele, a, a guy who's uh, got less than a full game of NFL experience uh, from this last week. Patrick McCary went down, who went down after James, John James went down, who went down after Ronnie Stanley was not available to start the season. So they're down to their fourth left tackle. Um, and it's uh, it's it's frightening. And uh, he's he's a guy who played very well in the second half, only missed three blocks as I scored it. Uh, but he did allow two sacks in those first 10 plays to Dietrich Wise. And uh, he he does not look like he has the feet to play left tackle and and uh he definitely does not punch like the heaviest man ever to play in the nfl he sh- he, sh- he is length and and he can really d- he should be able to really deliver a punch but he's a developmental offensive lineman i think he could be good i think he could be a good right tackle uh maybe as early as next year but this year he's being forced in at left tackle and uh it's it's an accident waiting to happen
1: so on the defensive side of the ball I, I think it's easy to say that for as much as the offense has been has been a pleasant surprise, the defense has left you guys wanting in a way like I imagine how Chris feels when he goes into the bathroom in the morning and finds that he's out a <laughs> sea salt spray. Like that's what it's that's how bad this has been. Thirty-second ring passing defense, thirty-second and fourth quarter points allowed, twenty-seventh and red zone scoring defense, Buffalo is number one in sack percentage, Baltimore is twenty-fourth. <laughs> I know that Marcus Peters is still coming back ACL tear. He's still an elite coverage talent. Running grade, not great, but hey, what are grades? I don't know. It's all subjective. Once you get into those fine numbers, that we're blocked by people on PFF because I'm like I don't I don't understand what this is, and some of it feels like you made it up. But one trend that I think of when I look at this Bills team and the way they're designed to play versus the way your defense is laid out here. Through three weeks, the Ravens defense has given up just a boatload of long plays through the air down the football field. I mean, just kind of marking this out, week one, it was 19-24 and to the Jets. Now, that's the Jets, and it can happen, especially. That's going to happen. Week two, it was 59-33-48-60-21. And on one singular third quarter drive, you guys gave up six double digit yard passes. I
3: see. It's you- hard to do. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll just speak to this right now. Cause I think that this is this, this Ravens team is absolutely built with a outstanding safety depth and, and really minimal corner depth. In fact, the next injury at corner, it just scares to death, scares me to death. Who would be the guy, but I think they finally found the three guys who are going to be good enough. And Marlon Humphrey is an excellent right cornerback. Uh, he's there. He's capable of playing at an all-pro level. A lot of people would still say he's one of the best corners in football. Peters is an older guy who is one of the greatest gamblers the, the game has ever known. And still a good coverage talent. Had probably his best game as a Raven this last week. And then they've got Pepe Williams who plays the slot. He's going to have to play a lot because the Bills play a lot of 11. So yes. that makes sense. They may do something, and we'll see. If they run 11, they try and play big slot with Gabe Davis or even play him big on the outside – we may see Kyle Hamilton come in and matching up against him. So we'll see how that how that uh, works out. Kyle Hamilton, pretty good game this last week with a big forced fumble. Uh, what the Ravens do very well though is at safety, they get eyes in the backfields. So this team is made to cover play cover three dime specifically. Ravens have no coverage talent at inside linebacker. Um, Patrick Queen has been terrible, and uh, you know I, I'm I get beat on all the time for beating on Patrick Queen, but the guy's just he's. He's never learned so many of the basic precepts of being an inside linebacker. He really is not a good tackler. Doesn't shed blocks well. Uh, doesn't have good awareness or recognition. His play speed is a lot lower uh, because of that poor recognition. He can rush the passer some, which is good. But if you if you if he's on the field and he has to rush the passer, that's a that's a weakness because the other team knows it. Um, and and the big thing is no awareness at all between level two and level three what's going on. So a guy who goes behind him or any route which goes behind him suddenly became invisible to Patrick Queen, which means zone concepts don't work like they're supposed to work. He, he doesn't trail a, a, uh, a slot receiver down the seam. You couldn't even ask him to do that, honestly, and with any hope that it would work. So uh, not to belabor the point, Patrick Queen has been a big disappointment, and they've decided they want to keep him on the field for all obvious passing downs which is something I think the Ravens will probably address if the, if the current level of play continues because it's just been uh, unacceptable, frankly, so far. But anyway, what the Ravens are, are made to do is play a dime. They're, they're made to play uh, with Chuck Clark in the box or Hamilton up front, one of the two. The other two playing on the back end with, with Marcus Williams, who's been absolutely great, three interceptions already. He's flying to the football, creating brackets all over. And they will, they will make a quarterback make mistakes, and then they will make him pay uh, when he does so i uh, you know the situation against miami uh was the ultimate betrayal of the dime scheme because they should you know up by 21 you never lose a game like that in fact i've been talking all offseason about how they will lean on opponents with the dime defense and for whatever reason they couldn't keep their assignments straight hamilton was up by the line of scrimmage when he's supposed to be on the deep end and that allowed the 60 yard 60 of the 48 i think it was a 60 to hill on the left sideline Uh, You know, they made another coverage mistake on the back end uh, on the right side that led to the 48 yard throw. So they had a they had just a bunch of absolutely horrible things uh, go wrong. Coincidentally, didn't get much from the pass rush either. But that's why these happen. And I will tell you that all reversed itself in this last game against the Patriots. They played dime defense and they had three consecutive fourth quarter drive ending turnovers and held onto the, held onto the lead the way they're supposed to.
1: All right. So they're working with something here, but also you're talking about Mac Jones. <laughs> you're, talking, you're, yeah. not, you're not talking about Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. So th- that is interesting to me. And then the other thing that I look at, cause you talked about blitzing zone usage is up league wide by about 7% according to pro football mm-hmm. focus from last year to this year. So it's surprising to me that the Ravens deploy so many cover zero looks, and that they lead the league in, but not lead the league. I think in their, their, they were in top five for blitz percentage coming into now? coming into week three. I believe okay. that they were entering week three. They were in the top five for blitz percentage. Does that hyper aggressive approach kind of play into some of the numbers?
3: It. I. I don't think it's. It's. Real, and I'll tell you why. Why it's not. And I've watched the pass rush very closely. So yep. I'm looking for two things. I'm looking for numbers, and I'm looking for deception. And in terms of numbers, the the pass rush is slightly less in terms of numbers than it was under Martindale, when it was very extreme. Lots of cover zero, uh, but they're at about thirty one percent or some such for the year in terms of five plus blitzes. The difference is almost all of that is five man blitzes. They hardly ever rush with six. So you know you're not sacrificing that much to rush okay. with fifth man, and you're not sacrificing anything anything in coverage if Patrick Queen is your fifth man. Because he's not going to do a damn thing for you if he stays in coverage. So so essentially they're blitzing
1: but they're not giving away the farm the way that they might have in years past. That's good to know because we watched the Miami Dolphins just dismantle our offense over the course of four quarters by just consistently sending wave after wave after wave against an overmatched offensive line that had backups playing that probably had no business being there. So when I take a look at this, we see a pass rush that isn't really doing much on its own without blitzing for the Ravens, a bad Bills offensive line. We've got a secondary that has weak spots for the Ravens against a prolific passing offense of the Buffalo Bills, but also a highly frustratable approach if you can pick and choose your spots, get your turnovers, make, make hay where you have to. What aspect of the Bills' offense and the specific players, knowing what you know about our team now, after yeah. two conversations about this, what is it that you think can turn the tide in either team's favor?
3: Well, Based I think the, the the Bills scared the hell out of me in their ability to put ten person on the field. They haven't really done it this season, but with eleven, they expose one significant weakness of the Ravens. If they put ten on, they'll 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 expose a second significant weakness because the fourth corner. Um, they benched two cornerbacks last week. This, this wow. is very rare. I don't know how often it happens in the entire history of the NFL that you bench two cornerbacks for play, and you still win the game. It's just it's, you know, unheard of. But they, they benched him quickly, so they had a close competition, <laughs> apparently, for that number three. They got Jalen Armour Davis off the field after after nine snaps, and he'd given Roll up tied. two big plays. Roll then, time. Then, <laughs> yeah, then, they, then they bring in uh, uh, Brandon Stevens. He made it through the first drive of the second half, and he gave up two big plays and had a penalty. So that was enough of that. And they finally went to Pepe Williams, who I think really is their third best corner. And not only is is he a better corner than those two guys, but he plays slot corner, which allows Humphrey to move to the outside, where he's a much more effective physical presence uh, in terms of uh, you know, pushing receivers to the sideline, beating receivers up with those baseball bat arms of his. He's just a, he's a, a really physically imposing corner.
1: So you think this is kind of more of a cerebral thing. It's not about the talent on the field. It's just about who deploys what and how these coaches chess match. That's kind of interesting to me because the Bills, Chris, true or false, this narrative has started to kind of build that the Bills can't win coaching battles.
2: I don't believe that for a
1: second. I don't believe it, but it's out there. It exists. It'll be interesting to see whether or not we can pull this one off. Can... I love having you on the show because you bring so much, like, you bring a level of information that a lot of our guests can't just because they don't do the film study. But that's why you run a film study show. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, what you're about, and where they can follow you on social media?
3: Oh, okay. Appreciate that. I'm at film study Ravens on Twitter. The uh, website is FilmStudyBaltimore.com. And we have articles that go into great detail. If you want to learn about the Ravens in 10 minutes, read the defensive or offensive line articles that, that come out weekly. If you want to listen to podcasts, I produce uh, about 300 podcasts per year. And it, in terms of hours, it's just ridiculous because we, we do the uh, a defensive pod for about an hour and 40 and the offensive power pod for about another hour and 40. Uh, So we split those into two parts now each. We do a Know Your Faux Pod every week. Then we do Buy the Numbers. I do with another actuary. uh, uh, He's very good in terms of understanding sources of data and whatnot. And then I have other uh, shorts I do, which uh, I I talked about occasionally in terms of uh, people who are passionate about a topic or they have an analytics topic or a PFF guy who's done a new study may want to come on and vet it with me. So a lot of luck uh, having good people on and and, uh, really enjoyed that.
2: Ken McCusick again on Twitter at... Film study Ravens easily of anybody that we bring on during the season. He moves the needle for us. Like people come and download that episode, the episodes that we have with Ken. Well,
1: here's what's funny. He says the same thing about me on his podcast. He says I don't understand. He's 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 said it before. He's like you're you are not our normal style of (laughs) guest. I think that's me. You heard him say it. When we did his podcast, yeah. shortly before we started recording on, he goes, you're not our, he, he said it as like my intro to his own show. He's like, ah, not our usual type of guest, but he's, in, and he says, he says to me all the time, something about your delivery, something about the fact that you're a little bit looser, but you still know X's and O's because they're a very film
2: centric, X's and O's centric podcast. Yeah, Ken is, Ken is essentially Baltimore's cover one.
1: And so... The fact that they do that kind of, and they still bring me in, and here I am, I'm cracking jokes, I'm cracking beers, I'm making references to
2: obscure movies nobody's seen. His audience probably enjoys it because it's a mix-up from what they normally get. Having these legit game analysts and film study people on for his Know Your Foe episode, and then you have... Some drunk gorilla come on to cover the bills.
1: <laughs> People just show up for the train wreck? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, either way, it's always a blast. I'm always super thankful for Ken that he takes time out of his... Chris, he was saying he they do a defensive
2: breakdown pod every week. That's defense and offensive, both like almost two hours.
1: Two hours of podcasting just breaking down the offensive structures and the plays and the... I give him credit. I couldn't do it. Yeah. Chris, I can barely do this without fighting you.
2: <laughs> yeah, we know. So with,
1: uh, without further ado, though, I think we need to get into the nitty gritty of what it is that's going to win the Buffalo Bills this game. These are our keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys.
2: Bigger the keychain, more powerful the
1: man. The first one's really simple. I mean, we laid it out here. It's get the deep passing game working early. When you look at Josh Allen's statistics over the course of this season, he is one of the best, one of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL. Throwing the ball more than twenty or more air yards, uh, what, what he has? What let's see, four or five, two of three, one of two. So he's got one, two. He has three incompletions on ten passes of twenty or more yards, a t- two touchdowns, and one of the highest QBRs of any quarterback to attempt him. Yeah. I don't know. Last time I checked, that sounds pretty, pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah. Then you think back to some of the statistics we talk about. I this Bill's offense is absolutely built to move the football through the air. And he Josh Allen's one of the best. A 70% adjusted completion percentage over 20 yards. They had a hell of a time in the Ravens' secondary and on defense trying to keep teams from hitting them down the field for sizable games. This should be a no-brainer. And one of the things that, you know, as we hit on it, Ken kind of rushed us through the answer because I think he was afraid of what I was going to say next. Here, week one, week two, they go up against the Miami Dolphins and he talks about how, well, we found this and we figured out a way and we shifted to this player. The reality is they went up against Mac Jones and Devontae Parker. Right? Yeah. Jacoby Myers gets hurt. They're going up against Devontae Parker and Mac Jones. Gave up five catches of more than 20 yards to this passing attack that hasn't looked like looked like it belonged someplace back in 1978. That's been the Patriots offense. That offense threw the ball five times more than 20 yards downfield to a receiver that after the first couple times he did it, you figure, okay, we got to put a good cornerback on him. And they just kept doing it. You mean to tell me the bills can't exploit that? Then I, if, if they can't, then I don't think that, look, if you can't find a way to unlock that for your own team, when that's what you're built to do, Chris, you probably don't deserve to be an offensive coordinator or a quarterback. Right? Correct. I also think that in order to do that, key number two is that the offensive line, Ken Dorsey and Josh Allen together as a group need to figure out how to answer for Baltimore's pressure packages. Through three weeks, you know, I talked with Ken about it, the Ravens run cover zero blitz man with no safety help at a rate behind only the Miami Dolphins. They're top five for overall blitz percentage. Now, some of that's because their no, they're pass rushers nominally on their own have a hard time individually winning one-on-ones Calais campbell used to be you remember when it was saxonville yes you remember that nonsense yes their their run to the afc championship and all of that Calais campbell was a monster how many years ago was that
2: god i have a couple four
1: or five he has aged considerably he's no longer the pass rusher that he used to be um uh, Odif Owe, he says he wants to go by a different name. I, what is it with players changing their names? All of a sudden, uh, what was it, uh, Leonard? Darius Leonard? He's like, no, man, my name's Shaquille. And you're like, all right. I don't I'm, get it. Whatever you want to be called, man, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to call you by your last name anyway. So oa might be their best pure pass rushing like edge player. Other than that, they don't have much. And if Michael Pierce is not here as your kind of Rock in the middle of that defensive line, that big run-stopping body. Then they're going to have a hard time flowing around him with linebacker blitzes up the middle. I just, I think that when you take all of that into effect, I mean, we saw what constant pressure did to our offense this past week, especially inside of our own twenties, where the Miami Dolphins were able to force a game-changing mistake. Simply by continually running it and daring us to, they said, look, the bills are going to dink and dunk and try to make these short passes. They're not calling blitz beaters. Let's get them. Let's get them inside their own 20. Dare them to try to come over the top because they will fuck up once or twice. And when they do, we'll be there to capitalize. And sure enough, it happened. Right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Our right tackle and tight ends cannot struggle in pass pro the way that they did this past week. When Spencer Brown left left the game with heat illness, I made the joke that to my wife that, yeah, the guy's been making me sick all day. Like, with an offensive line that is potentially just as undermanned as it was late in that Miami game going into this week, Dorsey and Allen have to come up with a plan to deal with that. Now, this is, look at that McKenzie touchdown grab. That's a perfect example of a play that now going up against a team like Baltimore, you have to have on tap, ready to go at a moment's notice, because when they send that blitz, you can't be just, okay, well, I'll dump it off to a running back. They're going to have safeties crashing to catch that running back. These plays aren't going to be productive. You have to be better than that. Your wide receivers have to work to get open faster than that. James and Gra- and that, some of that might be play design. Maybe instead of taking it from under center as much as you did, maybe you're going to have to do a lot more shotgun. You're going to have to spread them out four wide in order to keep them from being able to just pin their ears back and come after you. Whatever it is, I can't see a repeat of what the fuck happened in Miami this weekend because that was an abomination. Our pa- the, the, the fourth key. Third key. Fourth, B. See, the fuck are we on? It's like, this IPA is delicious.
2: (laughs) It's like uh, Ricky from Trailer Park Boys. Well, number one, I don't want to go back to jail. And number two, three, four, whatever number we're on. (laughs) (laughs) My third one is assignment sound defense. Now, you heard me earlier pointing
1: out that the Bills defense is leading the NFL in sack percentage. Against a quarterback like Lamar, it's a whole different animal. You not only are forced to spy him with a player in either your secondary or your linebacker core, but your line has to play more contain. You're not just able to pin your ears back and rush the passer because his lateral agility and foot speed just if you vacate your lane in a desperate attempt to try to swim your guy and get to the inside, you're leaving him an escape path out of the pocket. With Lamar, it's almost like it's a, it's better than a sack if you can simply collapse the pocket and make him uncomfortable without actually giving him an escape route. That's a win, more so than just a pure sack. I, this is it. I mean, given the fact that he's throwing the ball much, much more efficiently than he ever has in the past, and given what we don't know about the state of our secondary entering this game, this game is our front sevens to win or to lose. You're going to have to play assignment sound defense in your secondary and on your defensive line with very little freelancing. And you got to make sure there's no communication issues. The safeties were solid against Miami's speed threats. Kyrie Elam had probably one of the best games. Like, I couldn't have asked for a better game from him. Like, as a rookie going up against Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and receivers with real speed, you couldn't have asked him to do more.
2: Yeah. It almost makes you wonder what's going to happen when you have uh, Elam, White, and Benford all healthy.
1: Well, that's it, right? Yeah. But you can't lose a bevy of football games in between then. Nope. You still got to find a way to win. I still don't know who's going to be starting the game opposite Elam. Do you?
2: I don't know. I doubt it'll be
1: Xavier Rhodes. No, he's on the practice squad. Like, they might elevate him, but I think that would be a mistake considering he probably doesn't know the system.
2: Well, he did play for Leslie Frazier in Minnesota. Fair. So there has to be some maybe sense of uh, terminology that he knows or remembers. But, I mean, I, I wouldn't be... Like, are we as needy as the Buccaneers were with wide receiver? Because I believe this week they signed Cole Beasley practice squad and now he's already on the roster
1: i don't know we're gonna find out how the team handles it in the coming days what i do know is that baltimore's threats aren't nearly as imposing right they're not nearly as scary as miami's so i think you can get away with a little bit more but also you have more to worry about because you're gonna to have to account like somebody in that secondary is gonna have it in their head like okay my first job is this but also eyes on lamar because if he does break the pocket, I got to make sure he doesn't take off down the sideline for 70 yards because we've seen that happen just this season. The final key is pressure. And in terms of pressure, it's a whole new game because Lamar Jackson, whether because of just the line play or his own athleticism, he's only been sacked 3 times this whole season. In terms of pressure, it's a whole new ball game because you're talking about Lamar Jackson, right? He's only he's been sacked 6 times this season. But when you look at the last game where they give up three sacks to Dietrich Wise, which seemed like a crazy thing because Dietrich Wise isn't that talented, you look at right tackle Morgan Moses, three pressures, no quarterback hits allowed. Pat McCarry, five pressures, no quarterback hits allowed. He goes out at left tackle and they bring in the rookie and the rookie is the one who gives up the sacks, right? Center and guard Linderbaum and Zeitler, six combined pressures, no sacks, no hits. So there's a very good chance that Lamar Jackson gets kept clean in the event that they have a functioning left tackle. Or Ronnie Stanley practicing in full with the team for the first time in a year, that probably bodes pretty well. He's probably pretty healthy, don't you think, Chris? Could be. Now he might be rusty. But if he's healthy and they can get great left tackle play, then you're looking at a situation a lot like the Miami Dolphins, where you saw we got some sacks, we got some pressure, but our defensive line on their own simply wasn't enough to get home regularly. Now, if Ed Oliver's in the game, obviously his presence changes this a little bit because teams aren't going to be able to slide our, our pass rushers out to the edges as much. But you think about this, it shows you how elusive, I mean, these guys aren't the world beaters in protection. It shows you just how elusive Jackson is and how hard it is to get pressure when you're only doing it with four guys, something most teams are required to do when you play the Ravens. One of these days, Chris, I I dream about the day that we're going to get to see what the Buffalo Bills defensive with a healthy defensive line, healthy linebacker core, what kind of exotic blitz packages they can come up with. Just what, how they can go about creatively you know, putting, an extra, put, putting Boogie Basham and Greg Rousseau over center and guard and just letting them rush from the interior on passing downs. I look forward to the day when we can see all of these wonderful things. Unfortunately, that day's not today because they're going to be forced on simply keeping the offensive line in front of them, bending the pocket where they can, and letting the linebackers and safeties make box plays behind them. Nothing fancy, nothing cute, nothing more, nothing less. That's the effort it's gonna take, and our offense is gonna to have to pick up the slack on the other side enough so to win this fucking game. And this is one we need, Chris. Now if we're making predictions, Bills three and a half is favorites seems crazy, doesn't it? No. No?
2: No. Bills are gonna win. They're gonna win. They're gonna win.
1: You think they'll cover? Yeah. Are right, you want it? I'll take that bet. All right. Seagrams. I think the Bills will win. I just think it's gonna be a lot closer than three and a half.
2: No, no, no! We're going to win. I like the Bills a lot off a tough loss like that.
1: All right, so you're so you're buying in to the Von Miller and the Dawson Knox and the Josh Allen yeah, speeches in yeah. the aftermath of that loss.
2: Yeah, yeah we got it. Uh,
1: I hope you're right because there is so much at stake. Despite it just being Week Four, this is at stake in this game. It's an AFC tiebreaker against a potential wild card team. It's another it's another opportunity because an AFC loss drops them to one and two in the conference and costs them a common opponent tiebreaker with Miami. Another day, right? You lose this game and you have another day of being outcoached in critical moments. This narrative that the Bills have a composure issue is gonna get even louder than it already is. There's a certain Lieutenant Colonel out there listening to this podcast right now who will hate it. To see the Ravens beat the Buffalo Bills and then have to talk to his son, who's had their fandom foisted upon him, having to talk to him about that, like it would kill him. And I love that guy. I don't want to see that happen. Mentally, the Bills can't be in a great place. This fan base sure as hell isn't. And a road win like this early in the season against an opponent who looks, looks Imposing would do a lot for the psyche of not just the players, not just the coaching staff, but maybe the the, the entire team and the fan base as a whole. There is so much to be had here and it, the best time, it, it's going to be a gross, tight game in bad weather that's probably difficult to watch at times. And it's way too early to call anything a must win. But there does need to be a sense of urgency on the Buffalo Bills staff and just in the locker room amongst the players themselves to get out there and no matter what it takes, get this one right The ship and come together again as a cohesive and dominant-looking football team before you hit a really difficult stretch of football games. I think they're up to the challenge. And if this is the Bills' last game I get to host in my house, Chris... This is it. This is the last. Glad I'll be at work. The last Mayberry Drive watch party. It's going to be wild. I want, I want to go out with a fucking bang, right? I want a proper send off. I want victory beers over the fence with drunk Todd from next door. I want, I don't know. I just want this to, I need this personally. And I think we as a fan base need this to go well. And I think the Buffalo Bills need this to go well. So their needs, they needs they need to play a little more desperate than their opponent, right? Yeah. Can't wait to see if they're up for it. Guys, tonight we gotta get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. That was Ken McCusick. This has been your Rock Ball report.